This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform, and I'm once again here with Dr. Susan Kleiner. We're here on the, the eve of the Olympics at the moment, and so it's sort of fun uh, watching, you know, people that we've had kind of our hands in, you know, various pieces of, of their nutrition, so, so it's kind of interesting. Um, so, Susan, why don't you, I, I'm sure everyone knows who you are at this point, but why don't you just give a general introduction and then maybe kind of give people things that you can buy from you, like your book and stuff like that. Thanks, Paul. It's great to be here. Good to see you again. Um, so I have a PhD in nutrition and human performance. I have an RD or I am a registered dietitian. I have a number of, of um relationships with business and industry. I have been consulting in the sports nutrition space for nearly 40 years. It has been a fabulous experience watching this profession grow and become accepted as a specialty in nutrition. Um, I have been consulting with athletes at all levels of sport. I have written books, I write articles, I have taught at the university level. I've done research and published it. I work with business and industry and you can find me at drskleiner.com or drsusankleiner.com. Either one will get you to my website. I do have one very well-known book called Power Eating. Um, it is uh, in its fifth edition. And I have uh, another book called The Good Mood Diet that is also available and a number of other books and publications and many research articles. So feel free to reach out to me. You can also find me on social media, on Facebook, Dr. Susan Kleiner, on uh, Instagram and Twitter, at PowerEat, P-O-W-E-R-E-A-T. Okay, and then I am Paul Nobles. I am the co-founder of Eat to Perform. And you know, I always want to, and so you can you can reach us at, at www.eatperform.com. And if you're in need of coaching, you can actually talk to a coach. They will walk you through what your plan looks like. You'll have a free trial option. We also have the option for a coach to actually handwrite a meal plan for you, which helps a lot of people get started. So the one thing that we should start this discussion with is that Susan has an emphasis in performance, meaning that the calories tend to be higher, right? The discussion for today, and you know, I think most people know that we do these kind of back to back to back. And so we try to, we try to have similar themes for the two or three podcasts that we do. And so we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more this time about the eating less part, right? And I'm going to run through what we see from a data standpoint, because we, we talk a lot about, especially in this podcast, we talk a lot about transparency and why transparency is important from, you know, outlets like us um, and why more people need to do it. And specifically in this instance, there is this constant idea of 1200 calories, right? And 
for most people that don't know, the, the recommendation for a long time was, you know, 1200 calories. And then there would be like a, a qualifier of, you know, this is, you know, person dependent, varies from person to person. But when you put out something related to 1200 calories, what you see is, is there's waves of people that have embraced that idea, right? And many of whom have felt stuck because they've been kind of in that 1200 calorie boat for a really long time. And so most of them are kind of going from diet to diet to diet, right? Because you know, 1200 calories is, is a deficit way of eating. It's not normal calories, right? When Susan's talking to a performance athlete, it's always going to be way over 2000, right? And, and, you know, truth be told, and I'll, I will go through some of this um, in this discussion, but over 2000 is where almost everyone's supposed to be, right? Um, for, we're really talking mostly for women at this point, right? Now for men, the numbers are a little bit different, a little bit higher. Um, I would say if we wanted to just establish some ground rules, you know, men would be around the 2000 number would have been what most men would have been told. Um, women in terms of what normal calories look like, I'm always using the guidepost of 2000 and then we build from there, right? That's what normal calories would look like for men. Normal calories would look like 2750 and we build from there right does it mean that they stop at 2750 does it mean that they stop at 2000 but gradually you would build to what their normal is and for every single person that is different and and that's really how you customize things and it somewhat depends on how much they're pushing performance and things of this nature so there's a study that was done in 1998, and I believe it was a, a meta study where they basically combined a bunch of uh, different other studies to come to a conclusion. And the study is referenced a lot when someone says they're eating 1200 calories and they're not losing any weight and they're very frustrated. And so if you're a diet program, you're probably pretty invested in the idea that, hey, you know, once we get someone down to 1200, they should be losing weight. And the fact that waves of people on the internet are saying that they aren't is a very popular meme, right? To dispute, especially from the super sciencey folks, right? So, what will often happen in this scenario is the super sciencey folks will use this study from 1998. And, and to be completely fair to the study, I think Susan and I both agree that in large clinical studies where there aren't a lot of controls that can be put into place, those studies do have value, right? But they're not of the same type of study where you're trapped in a room for a month, right? Um, at the NIH facility in Atlanta, it's just a different type of thing. 
So what the study basically said is that in large um, clinical trials, it's very common for uh, people participating in the studies to um, mistrack their intake, right? And if you think about it for two seconds, you would go, yep, that's totally true. And I agree with that. I think Susan agrees with that. Is there anything, because that's the foundation of what we're going to use to talk about, right? So is there anything about that that you, you want to say or want to put out there? No. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so here is the problem. And this is what I don't get. And, and I guess I kind of get it because if you're selling X diet or diet X or you know, any level of deficit eating, you're sort of invested in the deficit part, right? But science really knows right now that it's very important to reverse diet. And it's so, it's so interesting because many of the sciencey folks, right, that are disputing when clients say, hey, I'm eating 1200 calories and I'm not losing any weight, what gives? They will often go, well, you're sneaking like goldfish crackers or gum, uh, sugar-free gum technically has five calories. And so if you eat a package of that, that's hundred calories. They know this is not the problem, right? And this is the part where you know, I'm not trying to be controversial, but I think it's very important that we speak the truth to people, right? And that it's well known that if you diet, you know, in a very consistent way, your body adapts to that and there isn't a lot that can be done. So you have to reverse, right? And we all know that from a scientific standpoint, and I have a lot of data in this regard. So there's so many things I'm going to tell you in this podcast that I think will be relieving to a lot of people, right? Because they'll at least know I'm not broken, right? And so let's get into that, that part real quick because it's not going to take long. You know, I'm not a doctor. I'm not, <laughs> you know, an authority on metabolic damage and, and things of this nature, but the one thing that the sciencey folks are saying is that you're not metabolically damaged and they're right about that, right? They're using it against the client saying that the, the, the amount of people that are actually metabolically da damaged are, are very low. And I agree with that. We just have different points of view, right? So if you're selling the latest diet book or if you're selling, you know, a diet app or, or, or something of this nature and someone's struggling, it's much more, it's much easier for you to say that they're sneaking goldfish or that they're, they have um, just various things that are happening that are causing their weight to stabilize or, or weight to stop losing. Um, and so while they're right, the fix is wrong, right? And, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about kind of the reverse dieting piece. But like I said, every single one of these outlets 
is aware of reverse dieting. You know, I'm not sure about like Noom or Weight Watchers or something like that. But at the end of the day, I don't really hold those people particularly responsible because they're not really selling that, right? So like I can point my finger at a person and say they should know it, right? But if it's not really what they're selling and the majority of people are coming to you over consuming, right? And we know that that is the case, right? In some way, shape or form, the, 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 the amount of people that go from diet to diet to diet is not as high as most people would think, but it's not irrelevant either, right? And so what happens is, is you are on some kind of program, you end up at 1200 calories and you kind of hit a wall or you sort of get frustrated and we'll, we'll actually do um, the second podcast that we're going to do is on diet adherence. And that's diet adherence is really the discussion they should be having, right? And you'll hear why, right? But, but the issue is that if you have a artificial intelligence app or you're doing some level of machine learning or there's one coach coaching 3,000 people, it should be known that there is not a high level of personal interaction happening and that, that those coaches and apps don't actually know what you're eating, right? And so if they don't know what you're eating, it's incumbent upon them to say, well, it's your fault, right? But if they saw the data, like I see the data, right? Um, and oh, by the way, many of them do have high level of coaching. They do know that these things happen. And guess what they do in those scenarios? They have very defined ways for clients to see results long-term. And it, oh, by the way, works really well if you're selling for $500 a month personalized coaching. You walk the people through very precise cycles, right? You move them down in, in a tiered way. You move them up in a tiered way. And you talk about this in your podcast and you talk about this in blog posts and things of this nature. But then when it comes to this whole 1200 calorie thing and they don't, can't really look at your food log and they can't see that you've been consistent, they default to it's your fault. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, it's not your fault. What is incumbent upon all of us to say is that the body does react. Now, the problem that you run into, I re there was a lady. So, so this lady at my gym, we were talking one day and this really angered me, you know, because, because she, she was actually working with a, with a dietitian here locally, you know, and, you know, even within the dietitian world, not everybody's always up to the, the new science and stuff like this. And so this woman was struggling and she had Dairy Queen one day and the woman actually believed based on the consultation that she had with her dietitian was that one instance of Dairy Queen, you know, basically ruined all of her progress. And that's really frustrating because we know that's not true, right? And 
I mean, the, the person in question knows it's not true, right? But, but if, you know, there's kind of this saying is that like, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? If the only thing that you can do is pull down calories, well, you're just gonna nail everything, you know, with that hammer. And what we're starting to see is, is people are really in a tough spot because they've sold 18 different versions of dramatic fat loss and stuff like this. And they kind of have that one chapter on reverse dieting, right? People ask me all the time, why do you talk about eating more so much, right? Like you, you never really talk about deficit eating too much. Everybody else is covering that, right? I'm the only one covering this side, you know? And so, you know, in my view and, and the way it actually is, is that the only thing that actually works is when you're well-fed most of the time and you're only dieting occasionally. What happens is, and what we see, is that most people actually are dieting most of the time. So we had a lady, you know, in the comments, you know, wrote this post about 1200 calories, which is really popular. Um, and, and in the post, I was like, I believe you. I believe you are, you are actually eating 1200 calories. I believe there was a point where you maybe got frustrated right? And stop doing it because it wasn't working because you're sane, right? Any sane person, you know, would, would stop in that moment. So, so I think that that makes sense. But what people do in that instance is they start hearing things like, well, you're eating too little and that's why you can't lose weight. That is also wrong. There's just so many things that like you could do a podcast on every single one of these topics, right? But what happens is, is people move to where they're, they're less scared, right? But, you know, maybe they have lost a little bit of weight and now all of a sudden they're at 1500 calories or maybe they're really pushing it at 1600 to 1800 calories, which we know from our data is actually quite low, right? Because the body actually wants to be much higher than that. And so when you are higher than that, most of the time, a lot of people think, well, I'll gain weight. It's not untrue, um, but it's also, you know, it, the truth in that varies largely. And if you, let's say that, you know, you first started dieting, right? And you were over consuming and, and, and let's just for a number, you're a woman, and you might've been eating 2,900 calories a day. Now you start doing a program at 1,200 and you lose 30 pounds, right? Over a very long period of time through all manner of exercise, all manner of under eating and all these different types of things. Are you really going to legitimately move your calories back to what is somewhat normal? No. You're gonna, you're gonna be kind of scared, right? So now you've lost 30 pounds. Here's the big problem. In your mind, you need to lose 50. And that's where the wheels come off, right? I would say, and we'll talk about this more in diet adherence, but I would say more people fail based on the scenario that I just said than ever succeed. 
right? And we'll talk a, a little bit about how you can kind of set that up for a little bit more success. Because honestly, if you never buy Eat to Perform, I don't really care, right? The We're doing fine. You know, there's a lot of people need help with this stuff, right? And if you think you can kind of piece it all together, there's a lot of people that did. I did, right? I pieced it together through trial and error. The problem with trial and error is that a lot of people fail with it because they get too scared even when they know they need to be doing better, right? So a lot of a lot of people get paralyzed at about 1,400 calories or when they're really pushing it, they, they'll get paralyzed around 16 to 1,800 calories. And we know for really just any functioning human being, the calories being a little bit higher allows them to function a lot better, right? So there was a big burrito of information there. Um, I, I think I'm putting Susan to sleep here, but do you have any thoughts? I mean, did anything stand out in what I said or, or is there anything that you would say, I would challenge that by saying it this way? So I've been in the nutrition field for 40 years. There is one absolute certainty. When a client comes to you for help and you tell them you're not progressing because it's your fault, go back and do better, you're not helping them. You're just not helping them. And so if you've given them, if you've negotiated a plan, which hopefully that's what you've done, Hopefully it's not a program that slaps 1200 calories on every person who walks in the door or signs online. If it's not working, it's not working for them. Sit down and come up with a solution or strategies for them to continue to try. This isn't a reflection on your program or them as an adherent to your program, there is something in between not working, whether they're following it or not. And so it is tremendously frustrating to me when I read all of these negative comments about clients who just don't follow the plan. If they're not following the plan, it's not the plan for them. It, it means sitting down, working with them, figuring out what strategies for them to try to ultimately get to something that does begin to work for them. And frankly, in my practice, I do a long interview. Now I'm not a, you know, a, a practice that takes hundreds of people. And I interview every person before they, I accept them as a client to make sure that they are in the proper motivational space to begin a program. And so if you're taking on clients who are not doing this for themselves, but they're doing it because their spouse is pushing them into it, or even the doctor has pushed them into it, or someone else to satisfy some other reason, some externally motivated reason, that they don't embrace, they're not going to follow the plan and it's not the right time for them to be on your program, whether your program works or not. So, so there is a host of reasons why programs work or do not work for people. And a professional's role 
is to help figure that out. And if you don't have that kind of training to sit down and have conversations with people, understand motivational um, work, understand the psychological side of all of this, as well as the very practical issues that you must train every client to do so that if so that when they think they're following the program, they actually are, you know, it's it, it, sometimes it's naivete not knowing that you're not following the program. It's like, well, I thought a cup of cereal was half the bowl. And when you actually measure out half the bowl, it's two cups of cereal. And so, so they're inadvertently making errors um, unplanned, right? And so, you know, it takes a lot of training to help people change both habits, desires, enhance motivation and practice. And if you don't have those skills or you don't build that into some kind of a, uh, an automatic or automated program, it is not your client's fault. And if, if that's your excuse, you are a poor consultant. Yeah, I think that that's, uh that's fair to say right and what is interesting to me is that we had various points within each reform where we made decisions about who we were going to be right and we were very clear that at a, at a certain point we needed to do one-on-one -on -one coaching um, and the reason why we needed to do one-on-one -on -one coaching was because a light version did not have what you just said, right? Where you could have actual discussions with people. And I'll tell you as a coach, you know, a lot of the discussions, even a lot of the success stories. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, a lot of the success stories that, that you will see, like even the best, most ripped vasculars, striations, muscles, stuff like that, they, they, you know, struggle for various reasons and they default to kind of the worst decisions, right? So that, that might potentially compromise their metabolism as an example and make their, their results hurt more. Like what a great example would be building muscle. If you're never eating at a surplus, right? You're really kind of wasting your time in the gym, right? That's part of the reason why, you know, we're such a big advocate for, for um, eating more most of the time. But when I say more, sometimes people get, get caught it. So you want me to go back to the way I was eating before? I was like, let, let's, not, let's not pretend like I'm having a conversation, you know, with someone who doesn't have life experience right? We know that that was bad, right? We're not trying to go back to that. But, you know, if you lose 30 pounds, and now all of a sudden, you're in the gym more, you're doing more things that you like, maybe those calories are a little bit different. Maybe you don't, wouldn't go back to say 2,900, but maybe 2,500 would work. And now all of a sudden, your activity level is a lot higher. And then you're building muscle along the way. But 
one thing is for sure, any coach will tell you this. If you leave it to the client, the client makes the worst decisions in a lot of instances, right? Because all of our relationship with food is very, very difficult. The relationship with ourselves is very, very difficult. I've been writing a lot about, you know, just like I have an article that's coming out this weekend. It has nothing to do with weight loss at all. It's really about doing things that you love, right? And that if you do more of the things you love and do less of the things that you hate, that you actually get a better result no matter what. So we're going to kind of end on this note and I'm going to bring it up in the, in the next podcast. So if you want to listen to these back to back to back, it probably would be helpful. But I, I just think that like, like Susan's saying, it's so dead on that blaming the clients when you have a flawed system it is not fair, right? Like a client reading a book and you can outline it 50 different ways. And then you go, well, you didn't do the one thing on chapter four and page 974. It's like, okay. I mean, we're getting to this part where the small details, right, are not the problem. And so that's what we're going to talk about in the diet adherence part, because that's really where the meat of the matter is. And if you ask any coach that knows what they're talking about, they'll, they'll tell you that if you can get clients to this place, that's where they'll see the most success, right? So we'll get into that. And, and then what, what uh, I'm thinking we'll probably do for the third podcast will be um, just kind of some of those small details that might help. So hopefully everybody liked this and we'll talk to you later.